You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Um, just to say, we've known Susan Anders for... Yeah. You're right. You're right. So we've known Susan Anders for, I think, over 20 years now. So, um, yeah, we've known them for a while. And I, think, I don't think there's ever been a time that we've known them where they've not been passionate about worship. They, um, they really are the real deal. They really love Jesus and they really do worship him with their whole lives. And um, I think there's something really powerful, isn't there, about having shared history. And with these guys, we've got a fair amount of shared history. And I can hand on heart say that through the ups and downs and the highs and lows of life, that they have clung to Jesus and they have worshipped him with their mouths, with their hearts, with their lives, in the highs and the lows. And um, they're remarkable people. And they are also very precious friends of ours. And I think that's important for us to say as well, because I think as church leaders, it's so important to be close with your worship pastors. And that's not something that has to be forced with us, guys, because we just genuinely have a very precious friendship. And that was already there before working together like this. So I could just go on and on, but I won't. We'll get to the... It's not about us. That's coming up later. It's not about us, friends. And I, I think I would say personally, though, that worship has changed my life. I've been healed and restored and found significant freedom. And I think worship is precious to us. Worship is precious to the vineyard. But I am grateful that I've been on a journey alongside you guys where, you know, I can laugh, but I can cry and I can be real and I can allow worship to be a lifestyle that has been formed. But... Um, I guess, I guess one question can we ask you is, could you just almost introduce yourself a little bit of who you are, a bit of the journey, a bit of the journey with worship, how you ended up being here and also doing what you're both doing, if that's okay? Sure thing. Just um, to say, Andrew cannot wait to do this. He just loves... <laughs> if you know us, you know he's just chat, chat, chat all the time. That's why it's, been, it's, why it's taken three years, it's partly this. Go on, let's go. <laughs> I, I've tried every opportunity to, to get out of this this morning. <laughs> every possible opportunity I've tried to kind of see what I can do. Even a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Steph gave him an ultimatum. She said he could do it on his own or with me, but that was the only option. So. Okay. <laughs> um, I noticed you've got a nice table with a coffee on and, have, you know... And a Bible. And a big iPad, and I've just got my phone this morning, so... Um, anyway, I am Anders. Um, not my real name. My parents are not Scandinavian. Um, but it's a long story, and you can ask me about it later. Um, married to Suze. Um, I have two kids, Seth and Pearl. They are... Not in, not in the room. I hope they're in the... No, they are in the room. Are yeah, they? I can see one. There's one. Um, they're excellent. Um, if you know them, you'll, you'll know that. But they are both pretty much teenagers, so they definitely have their moments. Um, so they're probably also wishing youth was on this morning, but, so they didn't have to be in here and listen to us. Um, I'm a committed wearer of Converse trainers year-round. That's important to know. Um, I'm a season ticket holder on the red side of town, so that may divide the room. Um, and I play drums, if you hadn't noticed. Um, um, we obviously have the massive privilege of being worship pastors here. Um, yeah, and then in my spare time, I'm a social worker. 
Um, I've worked in children's services for 10 years, I think, give or take, and I still do now. Um, yeah, I first picked up the drumsticks when I was 16, so quite old for, for a musician, I think. Um, but once I picked them up, that was it. It was kind of sitting behind the drums was my happy place. It was just something I could kind of do. Um, but if you're good at maths, you'll know that um, 16 years playing the drums and 10 years as a social worker, I'm not 26, 27, 28 years old. Um, so, I mean, I might look it, if I, but um, it's the good moisturiser that soothes by me. Um, yeah, so there's been a bit of life in between. Um, I've worked at Tear Fund, I've worked for in kind of live sound and video, um, and I was lucky enough to play drums for a living for about 10 years. Um, so I got to, to tour around the world. I got to record some records in some absolutely beautiful studios. Um, but lots of that was pretty hard work, and it was quite a tough place to exist as someone with a faith. Um, and from the moment I picked up the drums, my mum was a worship pastor at that time, so she very quickly got me involved playing in church, even though I probably had no clue what I was doing. Um, and throughout my life, I've always played in, in worship, so worship has always gone alongside everything else that I've ever done. Um, and I think for me, some of the moments I've felt closest to, to God have been when I've been sat behind a drum kit. Um, and it's been that drum kit pretty much most of my life. We worked out my drum kit is older than Toby, who was playing... playing. Keys. <laughs> so... Um, <clears throat> that was um, quite... Makes us feel great, that, doesn't <laughs> it? <Yep>. <laughs> that was a devastating <laughs> blow this morning. Um, <laughs> um, but when I first started playing, we're probably looking in the 90s, which is not apparently five or ten years ago. It's a bit longer than that. Um, I wasn't really interested in kind of worship, music, Christian music. It wasn't um, something that got me desperately excited. I was excited by all the bands that were around at the time, so I was dead into the Stone Roses and Radiohead, and as any good Christian in their 40s, I was well into U2 as well. Um, <laughs> but for me, music was just just absolutely magic. I just absolutely love music. Um, and I know now it's not magic, it's just this thing that is absolutely God-breathed and is so... It's just this kind of gift for everyone. And if I think too much about music, it blows my mind, really. Um, so, yes, I love music. I, but in terms of worship and my journey with worship, I um, remember coming home one night, late one night, sort of early hours of the morning late, um, and I just found out my, one of my youth leaders had left his wife, and I didn't really know what to do with myself. Um, and I found this CD... Do you want to explain what a CD is? Shiny thing that okay. plays music. Um, <laughs> don't scratch them. I found a CD. It was a Vineyard Worship CD. It was an album called Hungry, which is an absolute stone-cold classic album. Um, and I just stuck it on at like 2 o'clock in the morning and was just absolutely floored. Um, for me, somehow, God had made it onto a record, and I didn't know how that was like, possible. Um, it was just hearing that there was heart and there was honesty. Um, so I kind of dug into the, the back catalogue, got into a vineyard church a couple of years later. Um, yeah, and just that was it ever since then. So we've known you guys quite a while, as you've noticed. Um, back when Paul had hair. 
How did we end up? <laughs> and I suppose thinking about how we ended up they here. They can't sack us because we don't earn any money, so. Um, <laughs> we remember when you left Reading and we said to you, when, when you plant a church, let us know. Um, and you said that's fine. To which we were like, well, we're not planning to plant a church, so. Sorry. And you said it every six months since, and we said we're not. Are you planning to plant a church yet? No. So they said definitely not, and, and here we are. So, um, yeah, when we knew it was Manchester, I immediately put me and Seth on the waiting list for a season ticket at United. <laughs> but it did take us about nine months to, to finally make the decision, and we kind of moved here a couple of months later than that. Um, but when we moved to help with this church, we just felt our kind of role was to say yes to things. Um, so then... And feed people. Feed people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we felt that ever since. And then when we got to um, us being asked to take this on, we said yes again. Um, so that's a bit about me. It was actually, it's quite full on. Um, my mum had just died the, the month before. I think you asked us in October 2019 and she, she died in September. Um, so we, we sort of had that. And then you got really sick. And then there was a pandemic for 18 months, so our first sort of almost two years of, of being worship pastors was not in the most ideal of circumstances. Um, I'll just do a, a super quick version of me. I don't know why he doesn't speak, because he's brilliant. I'm very, very funny. Um, I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere. I went to Methodist Chapel. Um, my first chapel had, I think it had 12 people in it and would smell of like a gas, fire and woodworm. Um, but ever since I was tiny, I loved singing and um, I used to realize that when I would sing these Methodist hymns, there would be juice on some of them. Something would be going on in some of them. Um, and then similarly to Andrew, like during the late nineties, I just didn't want anything to do with Christian music. It was also naff and cheesy. And I was loving all of the bands like Skunk and Nancy and, um, yeah, Radiohead and all of that. And in comparison, Christian music just sounded completely lame. Um, and I went to different churches, sort of all got a bit messy at my, my home church. We ended up in a free church and then I was at uni. And I remember, like, recommitting my life to God but also telling him, I'm staying in this church, but just so you know, I can't cope with the worship. <laughs> and I think part of what it was is it was like the worship was sort of detached from the reality of the people's lives that I knew, and it was sort of shiny. And it didn't seem to give me space to like bring, bring my stuff. And it was actually when I was, I think, just 20, um, that uh, someone played me the next album after Hungry, actually, which was called Holy, which um, is a vineyard worship album. And I had the exact same reaction as Andrew. I just was completely flawed. And I was like, this, this is what I've been looking for. Um, it was this incredible album. It was so brave. It was like loads of genres all on one album. But the lyrics, there was like this, this one song that, that it went, I don't want to grieve you. You are my precious lover. I don't want to wound you. Outside you, there is no other who longs to be close to me. And I just, I just remember, like, that's true. And I can sing that. 
And um, by a series of sort of coincidences, um, I ended up in a vineyard church um, where my sister had already picked out my husband for me. Um, That's another story. Come and find us later. Um, Which is where Paul and Steph were. And for the whole of that summer, straight after I'd finished uni, I just um, would carefully apply my makeup because of the aforementioned future husband. And then it would just fall off my face as I just wept. Um, And pretty much every Sunday, about two songs in, I'd be gone. And the Lord came and found me and held me. And um, my very messy life, which was a mess almost entirely of my own making. Um, Yeah, I just, in worship, I could just be myself before God. And and it really did did hold me. And um, that's it. Ever since I started getting involved with Vineyard, I've sung on some albums, you've played on some albums, we've played at some other conferences, but it's really not about that. Um, It's about this thing that we do together on a Sunday. And that's why we're here. Long introduction. um, To sort of explain why we do this thing up the front and why we particularly sort of do it the way we do it here at Manchester Vineyard. I think it it feels important for me to say that um, what we're not trying to communicate is this is a clique. Um, But you shared heritage is important because it involves discipleship and we go on a journey together and so the reason we do things like the weekend away is because you say come and be part of this journey of discipleship and relationship and we get to know each other and one of the things we love about you guys is you 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 become like mothers and fathers and and as we're mothers and fathers we try and raise sons and daughters and we invest in people and i i just had a moment of remembering anders when you were sharing um that your, your dad actually did that to me when I was about 20, just in a moment of ministry, just held my hands and said, I believe in you. And it, moments like that change your life, where you actually raise sons and daughters and you believe in and you invest in people. The other thing I just wanted to mention is, um, people may not know this, but when, when you guys moved here, just having shared how pressure, precious worship is to you, we said, would you come if you never led worship and you were never involved in worship? because it's important. We lay these things down and we say, I just want to do what the Lord's doing. This isn't about position. This isn't about title. This is about dying and serving. And of course, you still did because that's the kind of people you are. But we are, we are blessed that you now do what you do. I forgot to say what I do. I work for the BBC, by the way. Um, I work for BBC Radio 5 Live. Um, just to say that, because um, we do this like not as our paid-for job. Um, so please know that <laughs> um, we're just as passionate about it as if it was our, our full time thing but that's yeah, kind of and I think that's worth, worth mentioning that I think yeah. some people assume that this is what you do full time because of the way you are poured out and the way um, you are so so committed but these guys hold down full time jobs they're raising teenagers and they also pour themselves out are so super committed to this church and to, to worship and um, yeah, just one of the many reasons why they're so remarkable. Um, okay, so next question. Why, why sing? Why music? Why worship at all? Okay, this is, this is a quick one. Um, 2020, I got a bit up in my head about worship. I don't mind saying that. Because we couldn't sing, could we? We couldn't sing together. Couldn't do this thing. Um, and there were some Christians in the States losing their collective minds and um, essentially saying, like, worship had been outlawed and, and then sort of attaching, like, 
religion and politics to each other, and I got really screwed up about worship. Um, I'm very hot on my sleeve human, you may have realised. Um, so I did what you, what you do, is I went back to the text to see what it says. Because I guess I was thinking, do we need to do this thing? You know, it was getting so politicised. And I was like, oh, singing carries a virus. That feels not I ideal. Um, so I went back to the Bible, and I came up with this, get your pens ready, deeply theological point. <laughs> we worship God because the Bible says that we should. Um, so it's worth saying, we, when we talk about, t today we're talking about song worship. Worship is absolutely 110% your whole life. You know that, that message translation where it talks about take your everyday working and resting life and lay it before God as an offering. That's a given in this um, place. There's no point singing songs and acting like a complete um, idiot at work on a Sunday or being horrible to your partner or whatever. You know, God, God's not into that worship. Um, but we are talking about singing. So the word sing appears over 400 times in the Bible, and there are at least 50 commands to sing. Psalm 92, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening. It's all over the Psalms, which you would expect because David was a singer. Uh, but it's also in the New Testament. Colossians 3.15, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Or as the message paraphrase puts it, sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions be done. In the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Ephesians 5.19, again, this is the message um, version. I like this one. I, um, don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God. Huge drafts of him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song. To God the Father, in the name of our Master Jesus Christ. And uh, God promises to draw near to us um, in worship. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I really hope that's your experience, like everyone in this room, whether it's listening to worship in your car or songs you learned as a kid or whether it is this gathered environment on a Sunday. Um, but just a little bit of facts because um, I'm a journalist and I like them. Uh, the thing Andrew is saying about, about worship, because, you know, we've heard, we've been doing this 20 years, pretty much everything that can be thrown at you gets thrown at you. It's emotionalism. It's just what music does. Well, what if God just gave us music just to be really kind? Because that's what he is. So it's not that, like, when you go and see, we went to see Paramore at the arena. It was incredible, yeah? That's just an overflow of, of what God is doing. But researchers last year um, discovered, for the very first time, a group of neurons in the brain that only respond to singing. They don't respond to anything else. Um, science tells us that singing decreases blood pressure, 
increases the release of endorphins, serotonin and dopamine. It introduces more oxygen into the body and it enhances lung function. Um, they are now using singing as a treatment for long COVID, by the way. Um, it helps us build a feeling of community, which is why community choirs have gotten massive, and it improves your mood. It's a brilliant, I believe, it's a brilliant design from the father, and it's just magic. Yeah. Is, he really knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Yeah, he knows what is, he's up to. Is it the Psalms that say, beds eternity in our hearts through music as well? And I think it's, it's profound. But... Um, I've often found as well, but sometimes people feel the disconnect in a Sunday environment because actually the whole of our lives is meant to be worship. And if that doesn't align in the week, you're almost asking him to bless something or you're trying to bless him in a way that you're disconnected. And that's it, yeah. You honour me with your lips, yeah. but your heart's far, far from me. Yeah. So, Suze, why don't you tell us a little bit about where you think worship with capital W, big W worship, is at at the moment? Um, this is where we could go a bit rogue, so bear, bear with us. I will be right. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. So, in some ways, the worship world is really healthy and thriving. Um, you can go to YouTube, tap in your favourite worship leader. It'll make your playlist. It'll auto-play the next mega worship hit. You can curate yourself. Lovely playlist to take you to and from work. Um, and so much of that is wonderful. You can even like peek in on people's live streams, check out your favourite worship leader, etc., etc. Um, but it also runs the risk of making worship, I think, something it was never really meant to be. So worship makes money now. It makes like billions of dollars. And there can be an assumption that those mega hits are directly the result of God's blessing. And I'm sure... Sometimes they are, but they can also be the result of massive marketing budgets. Um, what was the fact you had about Universal? Um, I think I read, well, I have read somewhere that Universal Music Group, you know, the big globe, um, they apparently um, have a 60% market share of the top 10 most sung worship songs, which is staggering. Yeah. And you might not know, when we sing a song on a Sunday, uh, we report it and the people who wrote it get a cut of the money, which means people who own the rights also get a cut of the money. So um, it's just, we just bring it up because it's, it's worth thinking about um, this sort of big industry. But also because if we're not careful, it becomes something we do alone, like something... You curate it exactly as you want your worship experience to be. And that's doing it alone is just not how it's meant to go. Um, and also, research shows that a huge amount of the songs that are really popular pretty much only cover sort of two topics, which is like stuff God has done for us and stuff he will do for us. Um, and you would say this a lot, but worship is not about us, it's about him. And, um, yeah, if you're not careful with what you sing, you can build some pretty terrible theology. Um, if you start to... It's like a drip-drip effect. You know, if you see, like, like, water can make its way through stone over thousands of years. So if you keep singing that, like, basically God's going to fix everything for you, and then he doesn't, you've got a bit of a crisis of faith. Um, 
Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. But that is different from singing that God's going to just sort of fix everything. Um, yeah. And it, it, when you look at the big stages and the beautiful people, it can make it feel like that's what's needed for worship, to be impactful, is like lights and haze and... Um, really charismatic people but the truth is God just desires our hearts you know he's always going on about David he's always like David this and David not David who was singing this morning although that was beautiful um, <laughs> um, so Isaiah 29 13 these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me Amos 5:23. Away from me with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Again, the message version says, I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. Um, so we have to be really careful what we sing. And we are really careful about, about what we choose to sing. And there's nothing wrong with a bit of lights and production. Um, but God just wants our hearts. He just wants us to come honestly before him and give him all of what we are. Um, and that doesn't need very much, really. Um, and also, I know I keep saying it, but we worship God together. John Wesley, who started Methodism, said, the Bible knows nothing of the solitary Christian. Mm, worship is first and foremost about him. But, um, yeah, in his kindness, he meets us. And it's something we do together, bumping up against each other, you know, tripping over each other, having to apologise, all of that. It's part of, it's part of what we do in worship. And what we are trying to do, just so you know, is we really carefully pick the songs that we sing. Um, yeah, we both really care. Yeah, I think it's Simon Ponsonby, the preacher, who talks about putting words on the lips of the saints. And often you'll remember a song more than you might remember what Paul or Steph has said on a Sunday. Um, so we try and have songs for the mountains and for the valleys and for that Monday when you've got a flat tyre. Um, and make sure there's a lot of adoring God in our worship because that's beginning to sort of disappear in some of the songs that are really popular. So that song we sang today, High King of Heaven, a thousand verses could never be enough to hold our songs of praise and love, your glory calls for endless praise. Just want to keep pointing back to God. So we're not saying like the big worship industry is, is terrible, but we are saying we're really thoughtful about what we use and how we put things together on Sunday. And I just want to say, Suze and us, they're not just saying this stuff, they, they are living this out. You know, we know, we see firsthand how... They steward worship, um, the team, so, so carefully. And it starts with their own hearts. They check their own hearts and, you know, um, their own worshipful response to him. And then, yeah, there's intention, really clear intention behind why we sing what we sing, what it's putting into the room, and the journey that they are, <clears throat> excuse me, the journey that they're, as a result, taking us on into the throne room. And there is a, it's a big responsibility, and I just need you to know they take that really seriously. 
Yeah, I was going to say I'm just deeply grateful for it because you could just sing the next big one, the next belter that will get the room going and get caught in the cultural moment. And, and th uh, there can be a temptation because you can, yeah. you can, songs and builds on drums and stuff can make a thing happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, one thing that they won't do is give the people what they want. <laughs> they really will try and tune in to what what is in line with the spirit and the father's heart and take us there um and that's a really a really precious thing i i just want to acknowledge as well that's actually a really hard thing to do yeah. we often find that you need to lead people where the lord wants them to be not necessarily always where they want to go and that's it's quite a hard thing to steward it's quite a hard thing to 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 pastor but it's deeply important and we're we're deeply grateful for that aren't we? Um, just tell us a little bit about, um, we've, we've said all of that, why do we do what we do here? Um, good question. <laughs> um, yes, uh, actually on that that you just said, a friend of ours this week reminded me of something that the songwriter Andy Squire said, which is we have a responsibility to give people the songs that they need, not necessarily the songs that they want. Um, and we often have some fairly robust conversations about which songs... <laughs> um, <laughs> We might Sometimes for weeks. Honestly. <laughs> the amount of time. And we do bounce off Paul and Steph. Like, we're thinking about introducing this. What do you think? Because we always want to do it in conjunction with them. Yeah, so back, back to your question, Paul. Sorry. Um, we're really lucky in the vineyard. We have a kind of history and a heritage in worship and... Um, we've got values that, that kind of underpin everything we do. For those people on our team, we bang on about these values a lot. So, you know, this is a moment to have a quick power nap if you're on team with us. Um, so I'm going to do a whistle-stop through the values. Um, so first up for us would be um, is intimacy. Um, so intimacy and worship um, is... I think probably our number one. They're not in any particular order, but this is our number one. Um, <laughs> So intimacy is not a style. We're not talking about kind of slow, soppy, power ballad type songs. Um, any particular song could be, you know, reflect that value. Um, we want people to be able to worship God, come as they are, and be really honest in worship. Um, we sing about um, who God is, but intimacy is singing to God. So we want to sing our songs to him. Um, and in that, God is present with us. Um, so we might talk to us in worship, speak to us, it might be a whisper, it might be that someone is, I've known someone healed in, to be healed in the times of worship, um, it might be that he comforts us in worship, um, or inspires us, um, so, and I think for us as leaders we are conscious with that, that we can't take people to a kind of intimate place that we don't go our, ourselves, and it's something that probably we're not the best at all of the time when life kind of crowds in around you. Um, but that's what we want to do, and that's what we want our team and our leaders to do. Um, God longs for intimacy with us. Um, worship is us saying yes to God's invitation in our life. Um, some of our songs might say things like, come and move God, or come, come Holy Spirit. Um, not because we can tell God to come, um, but as a welcome, because he's already here and he's, you know, we return God's love with our own. So that intimacy, very briefly. Integrity. Um, so integrity would be, um, that's the kind of come as you are, don't stay as you are kind of piece. 
um, bringing your whole self to God in worship. So um, God loves us completely, and we need to present ourselves to him fully in worship. So it's okay to bring the tricky bits in worship. Um, we definitely do that. We've got two kids, as we mentioned. Um, it's not always pretty, us getting out of the house on a Sunday morning. Um, so, so sometimes we're rolling in and we're not in the best place we've ever been. Um, and that's fine. That's what we want. So it, integrity, it's all the kind of emotionally healthy stuff. Um, it's character. Um, but we worship knowing we can come as we are, but we want to leave knowing more of what we can be and what we're meant to be. Um, Kingdom expectation, this is a newer value. This is very exciting Woo. for the new value. Um, so we, this is about when, when we worship, we expect that God will meet with us. So we go into worship with expectancy, and that's what we would want for the whole church. So worship should change something in us on a Sunday. Um, and we need to always continue to choose to worship. We want to create spaces for waiting and listening. Um, we had Sam Lane here a few months ago. He waits and creates a lot of space in worship. And I've sat behind the drums on him many occasions and thought, gosh, he's waiting a long time. <laughs> oh, I, don't know, I don't know what to do. That's really it? hard to do, by the way, to just let nothing happen and let, yeah. m- just leave it for the Lord to move. It's really, yeah. really exposing. But it's creating spaces. It's waiting, listening. Um, I love Psalm 40, which says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And that's it. That's the kind of kingdom expectancy thing. Um, We wait. He meets with us. We're changed and we respond to him. Um, Passion. I often say to our teams, so passion is another value. Do you enjoy yourself when you're on team on a Sunday morning? If so, you may want to just mention that to your face. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, and that's for me as well. We're, we're concentrating at what we're doing. Um, but we, we want to look like, you know, people who enjoy worship. Um, and sometimes we model that from the front, don't we? Um, and I'm definitely de- not saying put on a show. I, we definitely don't want people to, to fake it. But let's have some passion in what we do on a Sunday morning in worship. So it could be dancing. I don't, not me, and I'm not sure that's a prophetic word for you, Paul. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it could be dancing. It could be shouting for joy. It could be falling to your knees. It could be, um, yeah, weeping in worship. But it's not faking it, and our passion should be um, deep-rooted. Um, a friend of ours, um, Jess Dooley... Um, wrote that Jesus' death, Jesus's death on the cross is the ultimate example of passion. And I didn't know this before I'd read this, so this was new to me. The English word passion, though, has its root in the Latin word passio, meaning suffering and endurance. So if we are following Jesus' example, our passion drives us to endure and overcome anything which might hinder or prevent us from worshipping wholeheartedly. And I never thought about that in terms of kind of passion in worship. So if we are really pouring ourselves out in worship, it shouldn't could be messy at times while we, do it, while we do it. But also for some people, you might show that passion simply by getting yourself through the door on, on a Sunday morning. Um, so, we, yeah. 
Um, final one is accessibility. This is the, the slightly more practical um, value. Um, <clears throat> worship is something we do together. Um, there's no us and them. You know, there's no, we're not doing anything special. I might be hitting things, but it's no different to, to what you're doing um, in the congregation singing. Um, it, accessibility is how we do what we do. Um, Sue's often says, I'm going to quote you now, um, it's like setting a table. Worship is hospitality. It's removing obstacles. It's making people welcome in this space. Um, making it as easy as possible for as many people as possible to be able to join in what we're doing. Um, so it's everything from the songs we choose, the sort of style we might play in, the keys of the songs we sing in. Seth will definitely nudge me if he thinks something is too high. He'll be like, ooh. <laughs> so he will definitely give me a nudge. Um, so we want to reduce distractions. Um, we want to play things right, not because we want to look unbelievably great, but so that we don't play something horrible, which all of a sudden makes everyone go, ooh. What was that? Oh, and sometimes that is quite funny. Yes. <laughs> I did one in rehearsal this morning. I was very pleased it was in rehearsal. Um, so, yeah, we, we want um, our songs to have language that isn't too technical. Um, so you don't need a degree in theology to kind of be able to sing the songs we sing here. Um, we want songs that are familiar. We want songs that are new. We keep a fairly smallish pool of songs here so that there's always some repetition on a Sunday. We think about um, volume in the room. Um, we have the massive privilege, and it actually is an absolute massive privilege to kind of look after the technical side of things as well. And when I say we look after, we do very, very, very little on that side because we have an unbelievably brilliant technical team. Um, and I think it's one of the absolute hardest things to do on a Sunday morning. It is the first in, they're the last out, they're lifting heavy stuff, they're pushing faders, twiddling knobs that I don't really know what they do. Um, and if anything goes wrong, everyone's, everyone's heads immediately go to the back, to the back. Um, but massive, massively grateful for that team. Big shout out to, to Lee and Simon in particular, who really kind of worked hard on those weeks. But the whole team is fantastic. They're an absolute dream. Um, but yes, going back to, to volume. There's no magical correct volume that, that they're trying to hit. And if they put these faders in these positions and these um, you know, knobs in this position, it will suddenly be perfect for every single person in the room because it won't be. There's no magic, magic number. For some people, it might always be too loud. For some people, it might always be too quiet. But they work really, really hard at it. So accessibility. There you go. Yeah, there's <coughs> some absolute gold in there that we could dwell on all of them for quite a while. I just, I love the, like, you, you kind of bring your whole self to worship, don't you? And you, you put your stuff on the chair before Jesus. And it is for him, and it's about him. And it's not about us. But when we bring our whole selves, the overflow of his grace and his goodness upon us is, is remarkable. And um, it challenges me every time when I think about that stuff of like I don't I don't want to come late I don't want to be distracted I don't want to disengage and I want to just be eating my thing that I've been eating or bringing in my conversation that I'm bringing and I want to I want to worship the face of Jesus because we love him and in the process of loving him his goodness changes us and I I love that you think it all through and I, we we honour you with that like I love that actually it's even we think through the volume we think through the we think through the so yeah thank you what's what's the I guess we kind of touched on some of it but what's the vision for for worship what's important for you 
in worship in in Manchester Vineyard here and beyond what would what would you want to see happening um, I'm gonna go super quick on this one um, we'd love to see people really excited for worship um, I've heard a rumor church starts at 10 30 um, <laughs> but I would still... Vineyard time. Vineyard <laughs> Someone time. had to say it. I've heard very much. 10.30. Also, um, we do the set planning thing where there's like the song to gather you in and then there's like a song of adoration and then you land in response and you will miss that if you come in at song three. Do you know, just something, you, you might be about to say this, but um, something, I mean, obviously we want to honour the Lord and we want to worship him. And of course, there's things that cause people to be late and all that. The thing that always pains me the most is it's the new people or the people who are exploring Jesus who are here the first. And actually, the people who would chat with them and the people that would welcome them and set the pace and the tone of worship would often be drawn out of that for other things. And I think, that, as you say that, that's the reflection for me. Is like, actually, we get, to, we get to carry people into the throne room and it's, it's worth pondering, isn't it? So an excitement for worship, people wanting to, to be here and not miss that part of a Sunday morning. Um, yeah, I think, uh, as kind of heading this up now, we want to create a place where anyone on, a, on the kind of worship team can just be involved and get, get stuck in, and that, that it's wider than just what we see right now. So it's a kind of creative community of people. So it might not be... You might not particularly play an instrument. There might be kind of poets or artists or people who are great with words in the room. And, um, yeah, we want to build a place where those people are really, you know, comfortable. Um, um, Adam Russell, who heads up Vineyard in the U.S., um, Vineyard Worship in the U.S., should I say, not, not the whole shebang. Um, but he's a brilliant guy. But he said, let the artists be found in the church or they will be lost in the world. And I love that. Um, and that's what we want. repeat that? Because I love that. Go on, that you repeat good. it. That is good. Um, let the artists be found in the church, or they'll be lost in the world. Because yeah, it used to be that the world would take its lead from the church, and we've sometimes started doing it the other way around. Like, if we just kind of make it a little bit like a Coldplay gig, apart from it will never be like a Coldplay gig, because of course it won't, um, then people might, you know, come and know Jesus. I, you I you crack on on this one, yeah. Yeah, we've come into land, so don't worry. Um... Uh, John Tyson, who's a pastor in New York City, he's been preaching this series called God Comes Where He's Wanted. Um, and obviously there's nuance to that. But to a certain extent, our experience of God is limited by our desire to meet with him. Because um, we had an argument about this yesterday. And he's like, I'm not sure that's true. And I was like, well, who got healed by Jesus if you, weren't in, if you didn't go to see him? and ask for healing, you wouldn't have gotten healed. Um, and I'm always moved by this story. So, Luke 7. Um, I'm always thinking of the woman who anointed Jesus with perfume. And um, as a journalist, I should tell you that there's a couple of different accounts of this story, and some scholars think it's two different times, and some scholars think it's the same time, but accounted for differently. We're in Luke 7. Um, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table so men would just kick back. They'd almost sort of lie down when they were eating. Um, and Pharisees were 
you know, a big deal in society. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there, I might cry, it's fine, um, with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So women weren't allowed in these gatherings at the time. Um, and a lot of scholars think she was a prostitute. So imagine the most high-ranking MPs you can think of um, having a very nice dinner, thank you very much, trying to impress somebody, and then a woman comes in. Um, in Orthodox Judaism now, um, women's hair will be covered and only uncovered on their wedding night. And then they shave their head and they wear wigs for the rest of their life. So for this woman to come and to, to, um, to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair, they were furious. The Pharisees were so angry. When the Pharisee who'd invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I just think she knew who Jesus was. The audacity of this woman to interrupt this meal, doing something she was categorically not allowed to do. She had an idea of who Jesus was. She risked ridicule, social mockery, um, and the perfume she spilled on his feet was really expensive. Um, in Mark 14, another account of this, Jesus rebukes them saying, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing to me. Um, and done right, I think this story shows what worship should be. It should be beautiful. It should be extravagant. It should be costly, and it should be pointless. Um, because what we do looks pointless to the world looking on. Like, I try and explain to anyone at work what I was doing last week, singing at the conference. They've not got a clue. It just looks like a huge waste of time. Um, but we waste ourselves on Jesus. 
And we, there is no guarantee of what you will get the other side because it's for him. He just meets us because he cannot help himself. He is so kind. In the other accounts of this, it says, wherever the gospel is preached, you know, we'll know about this woman. So whenever I get a bit dry and a bit, and a bit crusty and a bit grumpy, I come back to this story of this woman and how she caught the fragrance of who Jesus is. And she overcame everything to bless him um, in the way that she could. And, and the vineyard was, was birthed out of... Um, there's these two phrases, like hunger and desperation. So the vineyard started in the US and it was this bunch of burned out, cynical, um, nearly dropping out of faith Christians. And they started singing these really simple songs to Jesus and something in the room shifted. And that's why we're here. Um, this particular version of church, um, 50 years later, almost. So we need to have a hunger for God and we need to have a desperation to meet with him. Um, and Andrew and I can be massive cynics. Paul and Steph have been really kind to us, but I think probably kinder than we deserve because um, they're just really lovely humans. Um, but I'm a journalist. He's a social worker. Man, it's tough. Um, so we can tend to cynicism, but when life is hard, and it often is, um, God can be at the back of our minds rather than the front, but underneath everything... I am desperate to know God and be known by him more. Um, I always resonate with the words of Peter when Jesus asks if he's going to desert him as well. And Peter just goes, where else would I go? For you have the words of eternal life. And I am desperate for God to write another story over this city, over this country. Um, and I'm more and more convinced that the secular gospel that is preached of like be true to yourself and every you know make yourself happy um is just a sham some people win but most people lose and there is no one else who promises to be close to the brokenhearted no one else who promises to wipe every tear away no one else who wins by what looks like losing so underneath everything, we must be desperate for the rule and reign of God to break into our situation. Because Jesus Christ is the hope of the world and there is no other. Amen. I, um, we see that hunger and desperation in you and we see how you've bred that in the culture here. And um, we're deeply grateful and we, we love you and we love you for what you bring. I think... Um, I guess just the final thing I wanted to say is before we planted, I, I would say we're worshippers. We've been healed in worship. The vineyard has been birthed out of this worship thing. It's precious. Before we planted, the amount of words prophetically spoken over this church over worship was unbelievable. It's partly where even the love Manchester, love Jesus, love Manchester kind of language is like, let's just keep this really simple and be a people spent on him. I feel like this is quite a significant moment. So many words were spoken over the, the culture of this city, the, the, um, the birthing of 
the influence of music over this city over many years. Numerous huge bands and songs have come out of it. And um, would it be that that would come from a place of intimacy and dependency and desperation before the Lord that would write new songs and see a new shaping of, of culture in a remarkable way? And I feel... I actually feel the delay of us having this conversation has just been partly about the timing of like, would we now individually and collectively form in utter desperation before the Lord? We'd, we'd love for there to be songs. Um, I was chatting with Adam Russell, who heads up being a worship in the US, and he's, he said, um, it is massively precious. You guys just need to keep digging for the gold in Manchester. Make a place where the real thing is available and it will be a word for those who have ears to hear. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't we pray? Let's stand. Susan Anders, will you just pray over us as a church? Father, we're so grateful. You're so kind. Would you move in our hearts right now? Would you have your way in this space, in this time, in this moment? Lord, we want to praise you with all that we have, but we know that we so often fall short. And thank you that you, you already know that. So Lord, would you, would you birth this hunger to know you more in this church family? And would you move in our hearts this morning? Yeah, Father, would, would this place and this church be somewhere where um, all are welcome and all are comfortable? Would would it be a place where um, those who maybe have felt that, that um, not they've not found their place in the church before, that this is a place where where those who are creative or in the arts feel welcome and feel um, that there is a place for them here? Reminded, I think someone spoke about this last week. Um, um, one of the worship leaders last week at the conference was reminded me of the old, um, I think it was a Matt Redman song about coming back to the heart of worship. Um, and Father, would you, where we've made this something that it, it isn't um, in any of us, would you help us just correct that course, Father? Um, would you bring us back and keep us on a, on a track and a focus that is only on you, Father? Just stick with what he's doing. You can just see there's a, there is like an alabaster jar moment for a number of you right now. Spirit of God, we welcome you. We pour ourselves out for you. Yeah, Lord, break it, release it, Lord. Mm. 
Release it, God. Release it. Some of you, this has been a place of pain and it's about to become a place of freedom. Of course it's fought for. Of course the enemy would go after it. Lord, make it a place of freedom. Some of you, you the, there's a rising in you as well. You're, we're called to be worshippers. I, I couldn't play a musical instrument if I tried, but I'm spent on him. It's calling us to be spent on him. And there's, there's going to be a couple of ways of what we do this morning. There's a number of people who've got words that they're going to share as well. But I feel like before we do anything else, some of you, it's like you can't not respond. You just need to respond. You just need to almost intentionally take a step to say, that hang on, there's something happening in me, there's something breaking in me, there's something releasing in me, and I want to respond to that. Why don't we just do that now as we're stood? It's easy for people to get it. You may never have been in a room like this before, but you're just like, I've got to do something with what's just currently happening with me. You might just want to come to the front. Some people just pray over you. But Lord, come. Bless what you're doing, God. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.